0: It's my great privilege to invite Warwick Langman to come and open the Word. Um, would you please, please, after the service, go up to Warwick and also not only say, man, what a great Word, God bless you, but also ask him about Jesus Week and what's been happening in the universities. God bless you, Warwick, as you open the Word. Thank you, Ben. Uh... What a great morning we've had so far this morning, Amy. Eh? Um, I've, everything is really lined up. I was looking forward to having a few extra minutes, but then we did that praying thing and um, it was great. I really appreciated that. Um, everything that has happened this morning is really lined up with uh, what I want to share about this morning. Um, from Galatians 4, 8 to 20... I've titled with this sermon, Dear Galatians, please, please live by grace. Live by grace. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into reading this passage and pulling it apart. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you've already been at work this morning. Um, You don't only speak through the sermon, you speak through prayer time, and you speak through uh, worshiping and you minister to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've been preparing us already. I pray that uh, as uh, I bring the word, that you would uh, work through me and despite me, Lord, uh, to communicate to your people what you want them to hear. We pray, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to open that up to Galatians 4, 8 to 20. But we've also got... Uh, up here on the slides hopefully you can see it I'll be reading it off for us Um, and this will be our passage for today so this is Galatians 4 8 to 20 formerly when you did not know God you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods but now that you know God or rather are known by God how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you... You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now, and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. I'm not sure how you first react as you heard that passage read. Uh, It might be that you're confused. What does that mean? Maybe you're confident that you know what it means. Maybe you remember a sermon you heard on it before, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard these words. But whatever place you're coming from, or whatever you're feeling at the moment, This passage speaks the same message as the whole of the letter has so far and it's a simple message to all of us. The message of grace. The whole letter to the Galatians is about reminding the Galatians to live by grace, not by works of the law. Remember, there are a group of people who are deceiving the Galatians. They've come to the Galatian church and they're deceiving them, trying to convince them that you need to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus. And in this passage, Paul is communicating that the stakes are really high. If you believe that you need to be circumcised, that's bad. The stakes are really, really high. Higher than we might have thought. Particularly, look at verse 11. It says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Paul believes that if they don't understand grace properly and that don't live by grace, everything else that they have learned from him will have been a waste. It's all useless unless they understand and live by grace. And living by grace is not just an addition to life. It's not just an addition to the Christian life. It's the heart of the Gospel, it's the heart of living the Christian life, is living by grace. And Paul, in this passage, uses three particular strategies to try and convince these Galatians to live by grace. Convince them to live by grace. Firstly, Paul reminds the Galatians of their identity, then he reminds them of their emotional past experiences that they've had. And then finally, he points out that these deceivers actually have bad motivations, bad intentions to try and convince the Galatians to turn from living by the law to living by grace. So this morning, we're going to look at each of these three strategies that Paul uses and then think about what that looks like for us today. Hopefully, uh, that'll help us all. So, first of the three strategies, identity. Paul reminds... Galatians, that they were once slaves to those who, by nature, are not gods. God didn't want people to stay slaves. He made a way for humanity to know God and to be known by God. Out of His grace, His undeserved favour, the Son of God became human. We sung, sung about it today, God with us, Emmanuel, Him being born... So out of his grace, his undeserved favour, he came, he went to the cross and he rose again so that the Galatians and all people might be released from their enslavement to sin and become children of God. You are a child of God, you were a slave. But for some reason the Galatians get sucked back into their abusive relationship with this abusive master, it's a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. Have you heard of Stockholm Syndrome? (laughs) Wanting to go back to be with somebody who's abusive. Even if the abuse is different, the abuse is still there. You see, for the Galatians, their slave owners used to be the pagan gods that they used to worship. But now, they're being enticed to being slaves to the law. They need to be made aware of this fact. Somebody who's suffering from Stockholm Syndrome doesn't really realise what's going on. They need to be made aware of this fact. And that's what Paul's trying to do. He's saying, you've been captivated. And then Paul commends the power of God. His grace is so much more powerful than these weak and miserable forces of sin. The power of sin is ultimately pathetic in comparison to God's grace. Yeah. Ultimately pathetic. It's interesting, the phrase in this uh, verse 9, where it says, miserable forces in the NIV, might say something in some other versions, but in the Greek, it literally means baby talk. Ooh, ah. It's like, you've got just the basic foundational elements, and that you can't put the sounds together to make words. Why would you go back to, ah, when you have the whole language? Why would you do that? He's asking the Galatians, why would you do that? <clears throat> because you're a mature child of God. Why would you voluntarily go back? Why would you go back to your abusive master? So that's Paul's first strategy. He's reminding them that you're a mature child of God set free from slavery. Why, don't, why go back? The second strategy that Paul uses is to remind them of their shared emotional history. The shared history between Paul and the Galatians. See, Paul retells how he first came to share the Gospel with the Galatians because of an illness. He reminds them of how they first treated him when he was sick. They treated him with compassion and they endured difficulties for his sake. And at this point, they didn't even really know Paul. They're just looking after him, this random stranger. In verse 15, it even says that they would have gouged out their eyes for him. Clearly, the Galatians at one point were living by grace, they understood it. But now they're turning away from Paul and he's trying to go, What's going on here? You once showed me grace, where is that now? What happened? Did I do something? But Paul, he doesn't only remind them of the fact that they showed grace to him, but that he showed grace to the Galatians. Out of love, he lived by grace amongst them. And this is subtly hidden away in verse 12, where it says, Become like me, for I became like you. Does that make... When you first read that, it's like, does that make sense? Well, if I became like you, and I want you to become like me, does that mean they need to change? Surely, surely that means they only need to stay the same. But that's, that's not what Paul's trying to say here. It might seem like that but it's not. What Paul is saying is that I became like you. I didn't expect you to follow certain rules before I spoke to you. I didn't expect you to, you know, tick off any boxes. I simply showed you grace in becoming like you just as the Son of God became human and became like one of us in the same way. Paul didn't become like the Galatians because their behaviour was somehow worth mimicking. No, he loved them. He did it so that they might know the Gospel and live accordingly to that. And living according to the Gospel means becoming like Paul, which means becoming like Christ. Which means living by grace. But what does living by grace look like? I've said this phrase a number of times... What does living by grace actually look like? Well, it means that you become like others, so that others might become like Christ. Become like me, for I became like you. That's exactly what Jesus did. He became like us, so that we might become like Him. That's what it means to live by grace. This is God's big plan, the big story. Most of us get this, oh, God became man part, that's just when Jesus became a baby, right? That's just what we call the incarnation, that's the big word. But yes, the incarnation is partly this process, it's a big part, and it's an essential part, but actually Jesus lives his whole life this way. He eats and spends times with Pharisees and tax collectors and fishermen and sinners, He identifies with groups of people, He comes to them. He even joins humanity in dying, in dying, He joins us in that too, why? He wants people to become like Him, because we're made to become like Him, that's what we're made for, that's who we are, that's our identity, made in the image of God. He comes so that we might be like Him. What does becoming God look like? What What does becoming like God look like in our lives? Well, ultimately, when Jesus returns, believers in Jesus will be fully united with God. We heard that already this morning. We'll be fully united with God, made like Him in the same way that the Son of God became like us. In the same way. And that process of becoming like Christ has already begun in the lives of the Galatians and in the lives of all believers. That process has already begun. And as such, becoming like him means living by grace. Because that's how Jesus lived. We don't just start by grace and say, thank you Jesus for the grace that you used to save me and then now it's all about what I have to do. No. We live by grace. If you're saved by grace, you live by grace. It's by living incarnationally, that's the fancy word I want to use, by becoming like others so that others might become like Christ. That's how you mimic Christ. That's how you live like Him. It's become like others so they might become like Him. And this was the way that Paul lived This is what he's saying to the Galatians. I showed you grace by becoming like you so that you might become like Christ. And he reminds them that he has only ever had their best interests at heart doing this. It's not for his own benefit. He's doing it for their sake. And he is still showing them grace in writing this letter. (laughs) He hasn't given up on showing them grace or now somehow requiring them to live a certain way. Except that You should live by grace. He describes the pain that he's in as like childbirth. And it's interesting that he chooses childbirth as the pain to describe, right? He could have chosen a broken arm or a broken leg or a caved-in head, but he decides to choose childbirth. It's a purposeful pain. It's one endured out of love for the sake of showing grace to someone else who hasn't earned it. That's the type of pain that Paul's going through. It's like, I'm willing, to sh- I'm willing to go through this pain because I want you to experience grace and understand love. And this is the kind of emotion that Paul's trying to communicate to the Galatians to convince them to live by grace. All right, that was Paul's second strategy. Remind them of their emotional connection, their emotional past, how they've shown each other grace. Finally, the third strategy he uses is he tries to tell the Galatians about the motivations of these deceivers, how they're actually very bad. They aren't trustworthy. Verse 17 in particular shows how although these people are zealous, they are zealous for something that's wrong. Namely, they're zealous for themselves. They are zealous for themselves. They want the Galatians for themselves they want to be able to control and use the Galatians for their own sake and they and to do so they have to alienate them from Paul you see these people aren't living incarnationally they're saying you become like us over here you become like us not we become like you so that we all might become like Christ how is that ever going to be a good situation for the Galatians if they're getting drawn away by these deceivers who only want to manipulate the Galatians. It's never going to be a good situation for the Galatians. Paul is actually looking out for them while these others are wanting to manipulate. And partly, the Galatians have been drawn away because they understand that being zealous is good. You know, Paul goes off and they're like, oh, we need to be zealous. And they see these other people coming in who are zealous, and they're like, oh, we need to be like these zealous people. But they were zealous for the wrong thing, and so they were deceived. And so, Paul takes the charge, he actually says, it's all well and good being zealous, but you need to be zealous for the right thing. Namely, be zealous for grace. Be zealous for living by grace. He's unwavering on that point. So, those are the three strategies that Paul uses to try and convince the Galatians to live by grace, to change their perspective and their behaviour. But so what for us, 21st century Adelaide? We aren't Galatians. We must come to understand what it looks like to live by grace in our context. Otherwise, everything else that we've learned about Jesus has been a waste. Everything else has been a waste if we don't understand what it means to live by grace. Well, what we're going to do is we'll consider each of the strategies that Paul uses... Uh, and how they might apply to us. So, firstly, the first way to live by grace is to remember our identity. Remember who you are, in the words of Mufasa and the Lion King. Like the Galatians, we too were slaves to sin. We heard this this morning. That's who we all were. We had no choice in the matter. That's just who we were. And it's not good, it wasn't good. Sin is a terrible, abusive master. Since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, all people have been enslaved by sin, been enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. The, the traditional church language to describe this truth, this idea that all people are sinful, is called original sin. That means that people don't begin to sin but that people are sinful and so we all will sin. It looks different for each of us but we also all have this Stockholm Syndrome. We all have this Stockholm Syndrome even if we've been um, saved, even if we've turned to God. And we'll often get abused by sin in different ways than we have been before. And so we often don't realize what it looks like. It creeps in, and we need other people to point it out to us. But we must, must, must remember that we have been set free, we are known by God, and we are His children. See, God's grace is more powerful and it will overcome sin, it will. Our identity is in God's grace we need constant reminding of that fact and we need to be on the lookout for things that are going to suck us away, the things that are by nature not God's. Now, you see, in our context, we aren't particularly tempted by resuming pagan worship or Um, performing sacrifices or requiring circumcision. They aren't particular temptations for us in our culture. So what are the gods of our culture? What might we be tempted to be slaves to? Well, the gods in our modern culture include things like materialism, the accumulation of money, possessions, pleasure, power, experiences... These things dominate our culture. We think that by having these things, we will somehow be loved by others or that we will be more loving towards ourselves. That having things will make us more worthy of love. But that's not grace, is it? That's earning or deserving favour or love. Another God in our culture is individualism and self-sufficiency, this notion that I can and should do everything on my own. Subtle things like not letting somebody buy your coffee can be a symptom of this. Or big things like working yourself to the bone, not asking for help, becoming burnt out because that's what I agreed to in my contract. It's a lie that says, if I need help, then I'm not worthy of whatever I'm working for. You can see how that's not living by grace, is it? That's living because I've earned it or deserved it. Maybe it's, I'm not good enough, or I'm too good to let others be generous towards me. What does it look like in our church? Not just our church, but any church. Well, we need to be aware of this deceptive God of respectability and self-righteousness. These thoughts of, I can't talk about what I'm really going through, what would people think of me? What would people in the church think of me if they knew that? Or, I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to counselling or get help with my issues because I'm a strong, mature believer in Jesus, so I don't need other people's help. Maybe it's, God wouldn't want me to help out there because I don't have the skills. Or maybe, is God more pleased if I put in more effort? Maybe, is it that God cares about how I act and dress on Sunday, but not on Wednesday? He cares about it more on Sunday than He does on Wednesday. You see, thinking like that are all demonstrations of living by the law, being slaves to the gods of our culture, not living by grace. They are all dependent on our performance. But if our identity is as a follower of Jesus, we are trying to live like Him, which is by grace. Praise God that when we don't live by grace, He continues to give us grace, amen? It's very hard but, that being said, we want to live by grace. So we must be on the lookout for how we are getting sucked back in. To living for the gods of our culture, and living under works of the law. That's identity. Remember who you are as a child of God. The second point, the second way to live by grace is to live incarnationally. We must meet people in their space, We must become like them so that they might become like Christ. Meet them in the pub. Meet them in the casino. Meet them in the sewing class or the book club. In the same way Jesus came to us undeservedly, we should go to others. We don't expect them to just rock up in our churches. Think about where that place might be for you. Where could you go? For those of the older end of the spectrum, meet people in their loneliness. Loneliness is an epidemic in our culture. In England, they actually have a minister for loneliness. Go meet with people, show them grace as best you can. But we're not just gracious to those who aren't yet followers of Christ. We must also be gracious to those who are. Be generous to others allow others to be generous towards you, those of us who are younger. We should go and be with those who are older and vice versa. We should become like one another so that we all might become like Christ. We don't place expectations on you become like me. Because when we become like others, that is becoming like Christ because that's what Christ did. This means being vulnerable with one another. I mean, when Jesus came, what did He come as? A baby. How can you get any more vulnerable? And just as Paul was weak and vulnerable with the Galatians in his sickness, so we should be able to be vulnerable with one another, confident that we that we will be shown grace. But we need to be vulnerable with one another. Finally, third way to live by grace is we need to be made aware of we're becoming zealous for things that are not the right thing. Ask yourself this question, what would other people say that you're most passionate about? What would other people say that you are most passionate about? Is it politics? Is it maybe a knowledge guru, like Jordan Peterson, or something like that? Is it a certain author, or a sports team? Is it your own achievements? Is it the achievements of your kids? Is it keeping certain rules or regulations? Or, are you just not really zealous about anything? Or are you zealous about grace? Are you zealous for grace? I pray that by God's grace, we might be zealous for living by grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us your immense, immeasurable grace in Jesus. You became like us so that we might become like you. We thank you, Lord, that we are now found in you. Our identity is no longer as slaves, but as children of God. We thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to go out to those in our world who don't yet know you, to go meet them where they are at, to share with them the grace that is found in you, that they too might become children of God. Lord, help us to show grace to those who are fellow believers believers in Christ. Help us to show grace to one another, to practice living by grace, to do it well, to have mercy on one another. And finally, Lord, help us to overcome apathy, this idea of I don't care. Help us to live zealously for grace. Let it be the thing that overflows our lives more than anything else. Am I zealous for living by grace? Help me, Lord, help us all to live zealously for grace and by your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in his name, amen.